Well, good morning, church. I greatly enjoyed our missions conference these last two weeks. I just want to thank the missions team for all their work in uh, putting that on behind the scenes. Let's just thank them together. You know, missionaries are some of my favorite people to hang around. I, I mentioned last week that I actually married a missionary kid because they're so awesome. But sometimes, if we're honest, missionaries can make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. At times, even a little bit miserable. I can say that because I was one. I remember coming back from Mozambique after several years um, with some very poor people and came back and was only back for a day or two and or maybe it was a week and we, my dad uh, had organized and planned this great last big hurrah for the family before my sister got married and so we went down to the Virgin Islands and we spent a week uh, on a sailboat all together sailing around and just beautiful you know British Virgin Islands sailing around all these little islands and and having a lovely time but I was the fly in the ointment Okay, um, I was still processing, um, going from one of the poorest places in the world to a place where, you know, only the rich and famous could really kind of afford to live. And so we'd be at a restaurant where it was 30 or $40 a plate, and I was just reminding everybody that that was, uh, 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 for that one plate cost more than an entire month's salary for, you know, a nurse. Um, and, and, you know, so, you know, I, I did not make it easy for anybody. Well, you know, sometimes because missionaries cross culture, that's what they do, sometimes they, they are able to observe things in cultures and even in our own when they come back that we might miss due to the whole frog in the, in the, in the, in the kettle syndrome, right? I mean, if you're born in a place and this is just the way it's always been done, uh, it might be something that's greatly displeasing to God, but we may not even notice it or really see all that Scripture has to say about it. Because, hey, we've got our cultural blinders on, right? We've got our, our lenses, and that's just what we've always known. And, and so we're called to take every thought captive with Scripture. But all of us, every one of us, are products of our culture. So let me just give you a couple examples. Um, do you know that in several northern European countries, evangelical Christians don't think anything about going to a public sauna and sitting there nude with people of the opposite sex? who are friends or strangers, because that's just how it's done. I mean, I have friends from several countries, I'm not going to mention the names of the countries or the names of the friends, who are godly, even some of them who are missionaries, who that's just how it's always been done. They just, they don't think it's strange at all. And yet, we would say that isn't appropriate, right? I mean, I think we might even say that's scandalous. In most southeastern and South Asian villages, People commonly practice pedophilia, and they don't even know it's wrong. So when babies and, uh, and young children are crying, they engage in that to calm them down and never even think of it as something being wrong. And yet we would say, and we would be right, that it's a crime and, and that it's, it, it has great harm on, on their mental and emotional well-being that can come out later, later in life. And yet Christians have to be taught that and, and actually kind of think it's crazy that we have a problem with that. And that's actually an issue that missionaries face, and they have to really work hard to protect their kids, even from Christians. Most Chinese 
Christians have never considered that abortion is sin because everybody has to do it. That's what they've always known. In fact, even today, we're, we're seeing in Europe, our European brothers and sisters are, are sliding now. Evangelical Christians, Reformed evangelical Christians that don't really think twice about abortion because it's just, it's common and it's just, that's how it is. It's the law and it's legal. And, you know, you're kind of a bigot now in Europe if you think there's a problem with it. Well, in Niceville, Florida, on my street, maybe on your street, there are folks, some of them who would click on the census that they're a Christian this time of year, decorate their lawns with fake skeletons and ghosts and grim reapers and rest in peace grave markers, even though this is counter to everything that Scripture teaches us about death. For the Christian, death is victory. They are alive with Christ, more alive than they ever were on, on, uh, during this mortal life. And for the non-Christian, death marks eternal doom. It is something that we should never laugh at or celebrate or make light of. So this morning, we're going to talk about the holiday of Halloween in light of Scripture. Now, I want to preface this by saying, kids, it's not my desire to ruin your fun, okay? Um, it is fun to dress up in costumes at parties, right? I mean, especially if it's like a Star Wars or a Marvel character. I mean, if, if there was such thing as a real Iron Man suit, I would love, I would wait in line for a long time to try that baby on, all right? Um, so I, I've even been known to enjoy scaring people from time to time. A couple weeks ago, um, Pam Bristol came into the office all excited because she had spotted a snake outside. And so we went outside. Bill and I have been on the hunt, by the way, for the snake and have not yet um, succeeded, I don't think. Bill, where are you? Uh, have you? Have you managed to off this particular snake? Uh, snake five, humans one. Okay. So the, the, anyway, we, we were out there trying to kind of find this snake that she had seen. And she seemed a little bit tense, so I kind of made a jumping motion at her. And she did not appreciate that very much. One thing that I, um, for those of you who know Mama P, you especially know that's kind of funny. Um, at first I thought it was just kind of a normal reaction. And then I found out that when she was, I think, five years old, she was bitten by a rattlesnake in Texas and spent several days in the hospital, almost died from it. So, um, you know, I was a knucklehead. Um, point is, kids, um, sometimes scaring people and dressing up in costumes is fun, and there's certainly nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. And I take no pleasure in being a Halloween Grinch, okay? I'm not trying to um, ruin your fun here, but even more important it is to me to help you think about this holiday in light of the Scripture and to evaluate it in light of your commitment as a Christian to do everything to the glory of God. So I'm going to be very forthright this morning. Um, and, and, and talking about this holiday. Now, Halloween has become a big deal in our culture. And I've got a couple pictures. Malachi, let's go to um, slide one here. Um, picture at our local Walmart. I went in and did a little recon mission this week. And um, do, do you know that Americans spend over $9 billion on Halloween retail? Uh, it is second now only to Christmas in terms of consumer spending. It's a big deal now in our culture. It's actually become a bigger deal over these last several 
decades, and everybody knows that it's a celebration of the spooky side, but few people in our culture today understand its history. You go to the next slide if you would, Marcus. This is a picture of some wannabe Druids, modern Druids in, uh, in the UK at Stonehenge. Um, but back in the day before Christianity came to Northern Europe, to Ireland and England and Scotland, um, this area of the world was dominated by um, Celts and the Druids were like the religious sect of the Celts. And so this, there was this fall um, Celtic pagan harvest festival called Sowin. And it happened each this time of year in preparation for the cold and the darkness of winter in which it was believed that the boundary between the spiritual world and our world was easily crossed. So Sowin was the Celtic lord of death, an evil spirit that they worshipped. And they believed that during this time of the year, he was able to send demons into our world, okay, from the metaphysical or the spiritual world into the physical world. And so demons had to be appeased so they wouldn't destroy people and possess people. And so there was a lot of divination and animal sacrifice that was practiced as a part of this um, Celtic holiday of Sowin. And there's actually documentation that it actually went into the realm of human sacrifice as well and deviant sexual behavior that was very uh, a part of this holiday. And so people would mask themselves or wear disguises, dress up like evil spirits to ward off demons. That was part of the practice of this holiday. Now besides costumes, I want you to think about some of the other parallels between what was sowing the origins of what we practice today of Halloween. To them, apples represented the other world. And so actually they, they are the ones who invented the game of bobbing for apples. Trick-or-treating. Well, as a result of this holiday in Scotland for centuries, young men would run house to house with masked or painted faces imitating evil spirits and threatening to do mischief to households if they were not given some kind of treat. And so this, this became very common in, in the later centuries, from the 16th through the 20th century even, after the church had moved in and everything like that, this practice of trick-or-treating continued. And so Scottish and Irish immigrants brought this across the Atlantic in the 19th and 20th centuries, and it went mainstream in America. Jack-o'-lanterns. Uh, you can go to the next slide, if you would. One historian, a secular historian, wrote this. The traditional illumination for geysers. Now, geysers were the kind of the pre-trick-or-treaters, the people who'd run around demanding um, food generally back then, uh, or mischief, uh, running around dressed like demons. Um, that, that was the geysing that went on. The traditional illumination for geysers or pranksters abroad on the night in some places was provided by turnips. Hallowed out act to act as lanterns and often uh, carved with grotesque faces. And so this is, this is a several hundred year old turnip at a museum, a Celtic museum in the UK. Kind of the, the, the forerunner of the modern day jack-o'-lantern. You can go to the next slide. Jack-o'-lanterns were also set on windowsills made to represent the spirits for the purpose of warding off 
evil spirits. Now, unless you think that I'm kind of looking for some sensational, evil-looking jack-o'-lantern, uh, if you Google um, Halloween on Wikipedia, this is, this is like the main picture that pops up representing Halloween in our culture today. Now, the medieval Roman Catholic Church recognized the evil of this pagan holiday. So what they did was they tried to assimilate it into the Roman Catholic Holy Day of All Saints Day, which previous to that had been in the spring. So in 835, Pope Gregory IV switched the the three-day All Saints holiday into the fall to replace Samhain. And on October 31st, they named it All Hallows' Eve, from which we get the name Halloween. Now, which one do you think won out? Sowen or All Hallows' Eve? That, that night on October 31st that was supposed to be of preparation for remembering the dead saints. Like, how do we practice it today? Well, make no mistake. We, we don't celebrate the church holiday of All Hallows' Eve as a culture on Halloween. You don't see people walking around dressed up like St. Peter or Jerome or St. Augustine, right? What do we see? We see people often dressed up, celebrating something that's much closer to that demonic druid holiday of Samhain. Now, I understand that when a little girl dresses up like a butterfly or a princess to go out trick-or-treating, neither she nor her parents are knowingly celebrating the demonic, okay? But the holiday that we celebrate today not only has its roots in Samhain, but has clearly become darker over these last several decades. Al Mohler wrote about this, and this is what he said. He said, what gets the attention of many secular historians observing American culture today is the big question as to why supposedly postmodern, post-Christian Americans have embraced Halloween and have particularly darkened Halloween with what appears to be a consumer-driven, intellectual, or I'm sorry, intentional re-embrace of this ancient paganism. The darkest roots of the holiday in the ancient festival All of this can basically be traced to the last 30 years or so within the 20th century. As you go back into that period, you've got something like, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown, as iconic matter of entertainment. But by the time you get to the end of the 20th century, you're looking at slasher films and some of the darkest cinematic presentations of evil and of violence that Americans have ever tolerated. But but they not only merely tolerate, but apparently celebrate It tells us something that this fascination with the occult comes as America has been sliding into post-Christian secularism. While the courts remove all theistic references from America's public square, the void is being filled with a pervasive fascination with evil, paganism, and even new forms of the occult. Now, I want to show the next slide. You can go ahead and move it on. Now, I, I don't, I'm not in any way trying to shock folks, um, but this picture wasn't taken in like some inner city alternate, alternative costume shop, okay, or in some small town where they sell crystals and, and you know, and, and uh, weed and all that. Th- this was taken at Walmart in Niceville on the most prominent Halloween aisle, okay? Now you can find 
picture, you can find costumes that are innocuous, you know, Captain America and, and princess costumes, but these are the best sellers. And I went in the middle of the day and I had to be kind of careful as I took my picture because I had to wait for a whole family that had like four and five-year-old children that were playing with these masks to, to clear out. You know, when I was a kid, clowns were good guys at rodeos in Texas that would distract bulls and save bull riders. That's what they did, okay? And my mom made me a clown costume. This is a little embarrassing, but when I was like five, six, I went out trick-or-treating dressed up like a clown. And, 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 and I was, a, you know, a friendly clown. But today they're depicted as creepy killers, and, and stuffed animals are things that children should have and love and, and be comforted by, but kids are wearing masks of animals with sharp teeth with blood on them. Go to the next slide, if you would. This is right on one of the major front aisles. These are called grave breakers. I want you to note the connection with necromancy. Necromancy is the forbidden in the Old Testament connection with the dead. Next picture. There was a whole half of an aisle on face painting, most of it not being innocuous. This is one where you can paint your face to look like a demon. Now, why would a Christian, why would anybody want to pretend to be a demon, the specific spiritual enemy of God? Let's get these pictures off the screen. Thank you. You can, uh, you can turn the lights back on if you would. Um, well, what does God's word have to say about all of this? Sorcery, witchcraft, necromancy, murder, all of the things that are depicted or made light of or celebrated by these costumes are forbidden by God. You know, in light of the mass killings that we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, it just grieves my heart to see us, like, glorify and, and make fun of it and, and act that kind of thing out. Like, why would you want a, a costume, I mean, a costume with, that, that makes you look like some serial killer? Why would that be tolerated? You know, it's kind of like ground control to American culture. You know, have we not made the connection with what, what's going on here? Well, God's Word speaks very clearly about these things. In Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, as, as God sent his children into the pagan lands, he said this, and, and you can find in your, I've got a sheet inside your um, worship guide with all the scriptures, so you can take them home and, and kind of reflect on them if you like. But he said, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Now much of the theme surrounding Halloween has to do with making light of death, right? And, and a connection with 
the dead. Um, I just saw someone who's got a, a house, he's got, you know, skeletons all sitting in rocking chairs and things like that in the front, kind of enjoying, you know, having a good time. Um, all about it, making light of what Scripture has to say about death. Well, God was very clear with his people that they were not to in any way try to be connected with those who have passed on before. In Leviticus 19.31, the Lord says, Do not turn to mediums, that would be sorcerers, or necromancers. A, ne a necromancer would be like the witch at Endor that Saul went to, right? When, when Saul had turned away from God, God had removed his presence, and Saul realized that the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, were coming, and so Saul panicked, and Samuel had died. So what did Saul do? Not too bright. He goes to a necromancer to call up the dead spirit of Samuel to try to get advice, right? And God decided to somehow speak to Saul by actually sending Samuel, which shocked this witch who freaked out, recognized who Saul was, and got a word from God that, that that it was going to be game over very soon for Saul. Well, the Lord says, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 20, verse 6, he says, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Well, ancient witchcraft was closely associated with violence, um, sacrifices, including human, and sexuality. And I want you to notice in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where the word sorcery fits. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this leads us to spend a little bit of time applying our text this morning that, that Pastor Bill read, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, verse 1, to the modern-day practice of Halloween. And again, I know that if, if any of you have ever been involved in practice, I, I doubt that in any way you're, you're trying to directly engage in this kind of stuff. It's just a fun holiday where we get to kind of celebrate the spooky side or, or get some candy. But the context here in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul had just expressed his love for the Corinthians and a desire for them to open their hearts to him for a more open relationship. But they were constrained in their relationship with him by a guilty conscience for con a continuing association with some pagan practices. And we don't know exactly what those were, but by, by looking at the whole book of 1 Corinthians, we can guess that it was probably either eating meals at pagan temples or attending pagan festivals or maybe even failing to withdraw their membership from pagan cults that everybody in their culture was a part of. So their culture was impacting their practice of Christianity. Did you get that? So the cultural blinders they had, they were accepting the gospel, but not completely ridding themselves of all forms of paganism. And so this is something called syncretism. It's kind of like what our, maybe some of our Christian culture might do with an evil pagan holiday 
called Samhain, now called Halloween. We often think of this passage as referring to marriage, and it certainly does refer to marriage, not being unequally yoked, but it's much more than just that. Remember that an idol or any kind of celebration that would be associated with a, a false god or the demonic in the Old Testament was, refi- was referred to as a defilement or as an unclean thing. Okay, so when you read here in our text, unclean thing or defilement, you understand what he's talking about. He's talking about any vestige of pagan practice, anything connected to the occult. So let's look again at 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. One scholar, by the way, here said um, what this means is do not form any relationship, whether temporary or permanent, with unbelievers that would lead to a compromise of Christian standards or jeopardize consistency of Christian witness. All right, so next verse. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Let me just ask that question one more time, right? Let's say you're a Christian and you're thinking about going to a Halloween party and you really want to kind of shock somebody. So you put on a mask that depicts either some twisted demonic killer or some kind of a ghoul-like creature or a skeleton, right? So you got, why would you cloak yourself and pretend to be darkness? What association has light, what fellowship has light with darkness? None. That's, the, that's what Paul's saying, right? What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is Satan. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Remember these idols that they worshipped were, were images of the demonic. For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is, that is God's covenant longing to be with his people. We see that throughout the Old Testament. I'll be their God and they will be my people. But it comes, it comes with a requirement. And that is this. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness of completion in the fear of God. Brothers and sisters, I I pray that everybody in this room of age has bowed their knee before Jesus, that you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus and said, I give you my heart. And if you have, God is your God. And you are his child. That means you belong to God. We belong to God. God and any celebration that honors the prince of darkness do not mix. Did you get it? They don't mix. And verse 17 here where he says, go out from their midst, be separate from them. He's not saying don't be friends with non-Christians. Now, we're supposed to be friends with non-Christians. We're supposed to be light in this world. What he's saying is don't mix with any kind of practice that even touches or looks or smells or, or comes from 
paganism. Verse 17 here is actually a quotation of Isaiah 52:11, which was a call to Israel to separate from Babylon and her pagan idolatry. That's what we're supposed to go out from, to cleanse ourselves from. Now here, more specifically, is what bothers me about Halloween. Even the more innocuous uh, practices of Halloween. There are false narratives that Halloween says to our culture. And the first is that death is a laughing matter. So even in its most innocuous form, right? These, even if it's like, you know, friendly ghosts in the neighborhood, you know, balloons that you may see. And, and believe me, it's getting darker and darker. The stuff they're selling at Walmart, now I didn't show you all the pictures. Some of them are really gruesome, like ways of, of like decorating your, your house, right? And, 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 you know, are not innocuous, but even the most innocuous practice of, of Halloween, it says that death is a laughing matter because the theme is all about death. But Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the two don't mix. Death is not a laughing matter. Al Mohler writes this. One of the hallmarks of the Christian worldview is that it and it alone can explain evil in terms of its origin, in terms of its reality, in terms of its threat, and of course, eventually in terms of its defeat. But that's the whole point. The Christian biblical understanding of evil is the only worldview that can take evil as seriously as evil deserves, but at the same time, it never allows evil to have the last word. And one of the most pervasive and continuous of biblical themes is the absolute prohibition against ever celebrating evil in any of its manifestations. The Christian is not allowed to celebrate evil, is not allowed to celebrate death, and is not allowed to celebrate the darkness, but rather we're to be people of the light. And we're to celebrate in Christ the victory over evil and the course, and of course the victory over death. Does that make sense? So brothers and sisters, we've got to be careful that, that we don't kind of by participation, um, give some kind of assent to a false narrative that death is just a laughing matter. For, for those who die apart from Christ, death is tragic beyond tragic. For those who die in Christ, death leads to glory and to victory. Neither, neither are consistent with the narrative of Halloween. Secondly, and this is something that I'm very concerned about, and that is, as our culture gets more and more fascinated with darkness, we see in Halloween more and more of a celebration of the demonic, as pictured by the masks, those, those masks that I just showed you that are for sale at Walmart, okay? And at least half of the costumes that I saw looking down all six of the aisles that were being sold at Walmart. I mean, they were... I won't even go into the like, like five to eight-year-old size costumes. I won't even list the, 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 what some of those were, were, were called. But you had to even know something about necromancy to get the titles of some of those costumes, right? Attention turns to fascination. 
And fascination turns to worship. Remember, worship isn't just to go and bow your, your body down before an idol. Worship is to ascribe value to something. Remember, Satan is ultimately after counterfeit worship. He, remember the original sin, right, of Satan, to steal glory from God. And brothers and sisters, I fear that we as a culture are giving the enemy a stronghold into our society and into our families. Warren Wiersbe wrote this regarding Ephesians 4:27. He said, if the believer cultivates in his life any known sin, he is giving Satan an opportunity to get a foothold, a beachhead in his life. Satan will then use this opportunity to invade and take over other areas. Paul warns in Ephesians 4:27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. The word translated opportunity simply means a place, such as a city or a building, but it carries the idea of a foothold or opportunity, a chance to operate. I remember after 9-11 um, being very encouraged. Uh, we were in South Carolina at the time. Um, I was very encouraged with what I saw, how I saw our society moving right after that attack. A lot of people were like turning back to the Lord and, and confessing sin and, um, you know, banding together and praying and folks were visiting churches. And I remember praying for revival and I can't tell you how discouraged. I, I, I grieved just a few weeks later when all of the Halloween stuff came out. It, it, it was just like, there, there's no change. It was like nobody, nobody saw it. Brothers and sisters, I, I got to be honest with you, okay? I mean, I was trying, <laughs> um, I hate Halloween. Okay, I hate it. Um, my, the, the, the title that I was going to give this sermon was Why I Hate Halloween and Love Christmas. <laughs> but there were, a few, there were a few people who I listened to who are wise who told me that, you know, darkness and light is a little more apropos. But I hate Halloween. It's an evil holiday, brothers and sisters. Okay? And every year I try to shield my kids from it. And I try to explain its gospel counter to them. And so I just don't want for you, brothers and sisters, to get sucked into this and to give the enemy a foothold into your life or into your family. And it's not just Halloween. I mean, I, 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 this month I dread October. Um, I, I, when I drive through our community and I see stuff, I, I ask the Lord to cover us and to forgive us. I do. And to protect us from forces of darkness that we don't have any idea of what we're messing with. Okay? Um, some of this comes from the experiences I've had overseas where I've been involved in, in seeing people who are literally demonically possessed and even being involved in the casting out of demons and seeing the hold that things like amulets, like some little way that somebody once gave ground and how the enemy took them way farther than they ever wanted to go. And I saw how they had such a hard time give, getting rid of these, these amulets. And I feel like Halloween is just an amulet in our, in our culture. Having said that, I love you. And I promise... I, won't, I, I will try not to even get on Facebook a couple days before Halloween. And if I happen to see any picture, like of a costume or something like that, I won't say anything to you or judge you. I will love you, okay? Um, I will try to avoid uh, the Walmart. In fact, when I was at Walmart doing my recon, taking, taking some pictures, I bumped into someone I knew. I was right in the worst aisle, and she's like, uh, Troy! And I was like, hey, I'm uh, doing a little recon for my sermon on Sunday. You know, but I promise you that if, if I happen to see you in that section, I'm not going to judge you in my heart, okay? I'll even just avoid it 
try to avoid and not even go there so you don't have to worry about seeing me coming after you or something like that. I love you, but I am concerned, not only about Halloween, but about our growing fascination as a culture with horror movies and occult-type video games. We're, we're yielding ground. We're, we're giving ground to the devil into our hearts and to our minds, and it's, it, it's, it's really messing up our kids and, and our culture. I mean, movies that 30 years ago we would have never, you know, imagined allowing are now being sold at Walmart, right? You can't, you, I mean, this time of year, there are things, I mean, Walmart, right? I mean, I thought it was kind of a Christian company or something. Um, when you walk into an aisle, uh, maybe it's not, I don't know, don't, you guys go research, whatever, I, you know, I thought the whole family that started it were, but, um, but I mean, when you walk into, you know, to, to get your, to, to check out, there are these hideous, demonic slasher movies, horror movies. Brothers and sisters, don't go see horror movies. You're, 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 it's a compromise. You're giving ground to the enemy to mess with your head, to mess with your dreams. Okay, why would you be titillated by that for which Christ is against? Like, you know, and for the stuff that he died for. We're to be people of the light, not darkness. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22 says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons. Understand that there's stuff behind all this, all right? And not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Romans 13, 12 says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, some argue that if we don't celebrate Halloween, neither should we celebrate Christmas. And, and the logic is that, hey, um, actually, what we, the, you know, December 25th was once an ancient Celtic holiday as well. And here's what I would say to that, okay? The way we celebrate as a culture, right? There's a, there's, it is true, but there are ways, great ways to redeem Christmas because ultimately even, I mean, I love the fact that you can turn the radio on at Christmas time and you can hear songs on secular radio stations that are about the majesty of the incarnation, that are glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, not all the songs are, right? But, but, and the themes, even the secular themes are more about family. And certainly Satan would try to distract with commercialism, right, and materialism at Christmas, and we Christians need to watch out for that. But we can use Christmas to point people very clearly to the gospel. I have a much harder time figuring out how to do that with Halloween. Al Mohler says this, arguing against Halloween is not equivalent to arguing against Christmas. The old church festival of All Hallows Eve is by no means as universally understood among Christians as the celebration of the incarnation at Christmas. The coming of Halloween is a good time for Christians to remember that evil spirits are real and that the devil will seize every opportunity to trumpet his own celebrity. So brothers and sisters, we need to put the dark side on the defensive and you don't put the dark side on the defensive by participating in a celebration with any ties to darkness. Now, I, I, I know some of you have struggled, as I have, okay, how do we then as Christians 
engage our culture? Because I believe in being culturally relevant. Like, how do we engage our culture at Halloween? And I don't have any wonderful answers for you, okay? I have struggled with this one. I could see some overt witness in certain forms. For instance, a pumpkin is made by God. The devil doesn't own a pumpkin. So if you want to carve a pumpkin up as a cross, I think that would be a really cool, overt um, testimony to have that sit in front of your house if you really like carving pumpkins, right? People will see that and be like, whoa, that's different. There's something about this person, right? They might be a Christian. I know some folks um, give gospel tracts to trick-or-treaters, right? Um, and, you know, I would, I would encourage you, um, um, probably should include some candy along with that tract if you're going to do that. Um, otherwise, that tract's probably not going to go a whole long way into the heart of a child, right? Um, but some people do that. Others feel like that's compromise. Well, I believe in trying to be creative and contextually engaging our culture with the gospel, but I, I've struggled with how to do that. Okay, um, October 31st is also a great holiday, the, hol uh, the, 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 the day that we remember as Reformation Day, the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the, on the door at Wittenberg, right? But if I sit in my front yard with some of you and have a little bonfire and drink some root beers and tell everybody that's coming by, hey, uh, come and join us. We're celebrating a 16th century monk's faith together. Uh, and we're singing, you know, Almighty Fortress is our God. Uh, and did you know that Halloween's an evil holiday? That's probably not really going to be very effective in reaching the folks on my street. Okay? I think probably I will be labeled as just one of those nuts that everybody avoids. All right? So that's the struggle. But if I, you know, turn all the lights out and hide inside and pretend no one's home, well, then that's kind of, you know, I kind of feel like I'm being a jerk, right? You know, little kids coming to the door. So it's a tough one, right? And I encourage you to pray through this. How can you best manifest Christ at Halloween? But I want you to know that we elders have talked about this. The elders are the ones who actually encourage me to um, bring this message to you today. I, I don't, again, I don't relish making anybody mad, uh, especially kids, okay? Um, but what we plan to do this year is to hold a Reformation party. It's not a fall festival. It's not a Halloween substitute party, although it kind of is, I guess. Um, we want you to come out together, and what we really want to do is engage in spiritual warfare. Okay? Because this is a dark day, a dark night. It's a dark night. We want, but it belongs to the Lord. So, so, so we want to come together and worship Christ, to sing songs worshiping Christ, for Christ to be worshiped here, to be worshiped in our hearts. And that's what we want to do. And we are going to follow that up with a ice cream social. Did you know that you can have a lot of fun while you're engaging in spiritual warfare? You don't have to be solemn and, and, and boring, kids. You can have more fun, believe it or not, so we're going to have to really do this thing up. Um, you can have more fun than your other friends who are dressed up trick-or-treating on the streets. Ephesians 5, 8 through 19 says... For at one time you were darkness. Damn, have you ever notice all the darkness and light analogies in Scripture? Bear in mind that the gospel is penetrating cultures dominated by paganism. Let's not invite that back in. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And that's my job, even when I don't like it. That is my job, to expose the darkness. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Well, that's what we want to do this Reformation Eve, October the 31st together. So let me encourage you um, to have the courage and the willingness, kids, even to put Jesus first, right? Because uh, I know it's tough to give up stuff that you've known or that the culture prioritizes, but we want to come together and worship our Savior, say that He is worthy. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. By the way, that means you're not your own because you've been bought with a price if you have the name of Jesus on you, right? A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that our love for you would eclipse all else that we would deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after you, even if that means uh, rejecting parts of our own culture. Lord, I do pray for our society. Lord, I pray that you would turn this tide that our society is moving into more celebration of paganism and the occult and horror and mass murder. Even as we decry it and, and, and grieve over mass slaughter, we are entertained by it and fantasize over it and, and pretend and indulge in this. Lord, I, I pray that you'd forgive us, cleanse us, make us clean through the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us Christians know how to best shine the light of the gospel this month. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do this in winsome ways in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.